0: Welcome to Tales from the Rabbit Hole. I'm your host, Mick West. My guest today is Brandon Fugel, a prominent business leader based in Utah and the current owner of the mysterious Skinwalker Ranch, which is the focus of a wide variety of reported strange phenomena, from supernatural visitors to cattle mutilations and UFOs. The ranch is now the subject of a History Channel show, The Secret of Skinwalker Ranch, the finale for which airs on Tuesday June the 2nd, this coming Tuesday. So, Brandon, thank you very much for being here.
1: Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you. And uh, what a wonderful way to end our week on a uh, beautiful Friday afternoon.
0: Well, thank you. It's, uh, it should be an interesting show, I think. Yeah. Uh, so tell me, um, tell me how you first heard about Skinwalker Ranch.
1: Good question. You know, I, I first heard about Skinwalker Ranch... Oh gosh, I think it was probably oh, over a decade ago and I was at, uh, Barnes and Noble of all places mm. in Salt Lake city and, uh, happened upon a book hunt for the skinwalker by right. Dr. Colin Kelleher and George Knapp that introduced the entire, you know, history, at least up until, you know, 2005, uh, the ranch and, uh, the mysterious events surrounding kind of their investigation and, uh, bought that book read it thought it was quite interesting I read quite a bit so I, I read several books a week at least and uh, and I thought it was intriguing mostly because it it, it really involved a piece of property in Utah um, right. and I, I thought it you know it was an interesting uh, footnote in Utah history and uh, and then I put it up on my shelf and really didn't think anything more about the ranch until, uh, called 2015. So I, I, you know, I bought the book at Barnes and Noble just like anyone else. And, uh, and was then later, um, introduced to the ranch and, uh, Mr. Bigelow in 2015, which ultimately led to my acquisition of the property the first week in April, 2016 over four years right. ago.
0: So I guess when you first read the book, uh, you were probably somewhat skeptical of the, the events that were described within it. Would that be accurate at uh, the time?
1: Absolutely skeptical. I, I found the book very entertaining. I thought it yeah. was uh, intriguing. I thought it was entertaining. Uh, you know, it was uh, it was a fun read, and I really didn't look at it as anything more than that. I didn't really consider the book a a scientific work or, or investigation. Um, you know, I had, you know, I had never met, uh, George Knapp or Colin Kelleher or Mr. Bigelow for that matter. And, uh, I, I just found it to be, uh, probably most interesting because of its, of its location. But other than that Mm -hmm. approached it with a high degree of skepticism. And I, I hit, I have up until really getting, uh, getting more, into our investigation, I, I had always had it more of a healthy uh, but skeptical look at the not only you know topics like the ranch, but also the UFO phenomena, you know, ghosts, orbs, you name it, all, all of the high strangeness that people claim occurs in the world.
0: What was the the tipping point for you then when you kind of flipped over from being skeptical about all these phenomena to actually thinking that there might be something to them or at least something to what's going on in the ranch?
1: Yeah, good question. You know, I, you know, I flew down to Las Vegas in 2015 and uh, spent many hours with uh, Robert Bigelow, the previous owner at uh, his Bigelow Aerospace Compound, which was quite impressive. Uh, I I not only found him to be a kindred spirit in terms of some of his background in real estate development and whatnot, but I found uh his interest in some of these more controversial topics quite quite intriguing and you know I was introduced to Colm Kelleher and a few others uh, during that exchange, and you know sitting across from them and hearing their very sober uh, accounts and explanation of events and what occurred on the ranch during their, you know, roughly 20 year mm-hmm. ownership and uh, investigation, you know, caused me to pause. These seemed like very credible people uh, to me and in a lot of respects. And uh, I, uh, I I would say that's when my, my interest perked up. You know, I, I, I didn't become a, a believer, if you will, or I, you know, I still you know approached the topic with a high degree of skepticism but i i i tried to keep an open mind uh in approaching the the property and really uh carrying forward my own investigation uh mm-hmm. you know there there really wasn't much of an information exchange that occurred uh relative to the acquisition of the property uh you know Mr. Bigelow was very clear about the fact that he he was selling the property as is I think he saw me as not only a, also a fellow kindred spirit, but but you know a, a rightful successor to, to hopefully what he had created. And that, I I told him that if you know if I had the uh, the opportunity to acquire the property, it would be my intention to bring in my own team of uh, experts of scientists in order to to document you know the events and really the nature of what had been reported there but I, you know to be candid i i fully expected that there was a 95% probability uh, or greater that you know that there was going to be a natural you know more prosaic explanation behind mm-hmm. what uh, what had been reported and you know i kind of looked at the ranch and the the accounts as being probably most likely nothing more than an adult scientific snipe hunt of sorts. I don't know if you, you know, growing up, I was uh, in the Boy Scouts. I was an Eagle Scout, and you know, one of the uh, one of the activities that we were involved in in scouting, you know, was kind of a a rite of passage with the younger scouts, where we would initiate them through convincing them that they were they were tracking or hunting, you know, this this elusive creature up in the forest, you know, this snipe, and you know, and by the if you're familiar with with this uh <laughs> with this sort of thing you know b- yeah. by the end of the evening all of the young scouts are absolutely 100 100-, <laughs> 100% convinced they are absolutely certain that there is a snipe that there is truly something that they're hearing out in the brush that uh, that they're either hunting or that is hunting them and uh i you know n- again no offense to uh to any of uh, the people who had worked on the ranch previously uh, at all, but I, I thought the most likely explanation for a lot of what had been reported was that that it was nothing more than the result of groupthink. You know, a lot of front-loaded groupthink, and uh, and that people had stirred themselves up into believing that they were seeing something unusual that most likely didn't have any anything extraordinary to do
0: with it. So what what. What was your goal then? If you, if you believe that, did you believe that about the, just the majority of the sightings or just you know, about all of the, the things that went on? Or well, do you think there was, there was a, a fraction of them that have something that was worth investigating?
1: No, I, I, I really kept an open mind and I, I didn't make any assumptions. In fact, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't assume that any of the events were, were true. I also didn't, uh, didn't go so far as to discredit or say that they weren't um, true. I I thought, well, you know, what has come before, what has been reported before, you know, it, you know, most of which had been anecdotal in nature, uh, was not really easily proved, and you know, the only way to get to the bottom of whether there was any any uh, reality to what had been claimed was to employ, you know, s- you know, scientific tools and resources in service to, to really studying the, uh, the ranch and yeah. to truly really see if there was a phenomena at work.
0: Yeah, people get talking about the phenomena, and I think it's interesting that it's very difficult to pin down what this phenomena is that you're studying. Uh, like Bigelow said once that they couldn't study it scientifically because it never repeated itself. It was always something different, so you couldn't you know, set up an experiment to do the same thing. And there's these various different things that that happen. Is there a way of characterizing what this phenomena actually is, or some, or some characterization of a phenomena just being other than just being a really strange place where things
1: happen? Yeah, good question. You know, I, I, you you have to have something that is repeatable in order to to really test a hypothesis. As you know, you you really have to to be able to. to to find repeatable results and to be able to properly characterize it, and uh, you're right. You know, in in approaching the claims associated with the ranch historically, um, the uh, the nature of what was being claimed was not only elusive but rather ambiguous. And yeah. and you know, I I again, I, I I came into this having never seen a UFO. Having never claimed to have seen a ghost or an orb or anything of a supernatural nature, and uh, I, I honestly uh, thought that the, the likely result would would probably be you know finding some type of natural explanation for what was occurring, mm-hmm. and and frankly, you know the first six months for half a year uh, of owning it, in all of my visits out to the ranch, I. I didn't experience it or, or witness anything that I would say was unusual. It just seemed like a very beautiful scenic backdrop. In fact, it's right out of a John Wayne a Western movie uh, or Westworld is probably a, yeah. a, a, a more relevant uh, present point of reference. I mean, the, the, the backdrop of Skinwalker Ranch is very reminiscent of what you'd see in you know, season one or two of Westworld. Uh, and, and, and I think that was probably the first surprise that I had upon inspecting the property was how, how beautifully striking the landscape was and how diverse. I mean, you have everything from a red rock mesa that spans the entire property to uh, cave systems. You have a number of old pioneer homesteads that are over a hundred years old that, uh, that are still standing barely. Uh, you have you know some interesting waterways that traverse the property and uh and it, it you know that that was something that was completely unexpected uh it, you, it's difficult to to really uh picture what the ranch landscape mm-hmm. looks like simply based on the description in George Knapp and colm kelleher's book and when i mm-hmm. I came in to to actually uh to inspect the property, the week I closed on it, I flew in via helicopter, and I I was shocked at how beautiful the place was. I was expecting probably more flat topography, yeah. more um, desert prairie type of uh, type of landscape, and uh, I was wholly unprepared for uh, yeah. for the diversity. It's-
0: it is very, uh, very striking looking. There's lots of nice drone shots in the in the TV show, and you've got the mesa there with all the the rocks tumbling down it, and giant boulders, and then the the flat land and the river. It's very interesting looking. So you didn't, uh, you know, you said for the first six months you didn't have any experiences. Have you personally had some kind of, you know, supernatural or UFO type uh, experience you
1: know, since then? Absol- oh, absolutely. Yeah, you know that you know what was recorded during the first six months before I really witnessed anything myself personally was uh, was interesting. I mean I you know one of the first things that I did uh, with the property upon purchasing the ranch was uh, I employed a drone aerial surveyor that, uh, that conducted numerous uh, drone surveys of the property and the surrounding area in order to really document every inch of the property. I wanted to start establishing a historical record that would track the landscape, any changes in the landscape, you know, anything that would be interesting. So we would have a baseline uh, to continue measuring against as uh, as we really let our investigation unfold. You know, the first several years of my ownership of the property, you know, I'd probably say the first three years was really characterized best as an observational science. Exercise. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a lot of really aggressive experimentation like you see on the television program. You know, a lot of it was was really carefully and methodically, you know, establishing the uh, the surveillance, you know, monitoring and uh, and some of the other instrumentation in order to to truly document what was happening on the property. But uh, to answer your question, yeah, it, before. I had my own experience you know we we had captured a number of interesting images, and I think you picked out a couple of those images from uh that were you know seen briefly in uh jeremy Corbell's documentary Hunt for the skinwalker which was uh i don't know when that was released two years ago a year and a half ago yeah i think so um you know and uh you know to be clear i uh you know, I thought they were very interesting images. I mean, we captured a few daylight uh, images of unidentified flying objects. Um, you know, I, you know I, I thought it was intriguing in that when we checked, mm-hmm. you know, the you know, flight data, you know, the database uh, history, you know, tracking, you know, the, uh, the commercial and private air traffic in the basin during the period of time that those images were taken, by my drone aerial uh surveyor you know there were th- there wasn't anything reported there was no there was no known traffic you know and i know i know very well that uh, th- there are those that don't you know have the uh the appropriate equipment and uh you have from time to time you know you know some some aerial activity that uh that doesn't show up on some yeah. of the sensors but i thought it was interesting i thought To have multiple events that that were witnessed, that were that had multiple witnesses with them of what what appeared to be um, unusual craft on or around the property or objects um, I found to be intriguing, and that's that's probably when my interest started perking up. That was in June of 2016. We had we had a number of events that uh, that occurred that were recorded. You know, images captured and uh, and, uh, you know, what it did more than anything is it inspired me to improve our systems on the property, you know, our data collection, you know, and, uh, you know, our our camera surveillance system so we can better uh, monitor and, and record that which was occurring.
0: Yeah, those uh, those three photos that were that you referenced there, uh, I looked at those and I noticed that yeah they had the metadata in the corner. They they were taken with uh, an iPhone six s plus, Correct. which isn't a particularly uh, you know good camera for taking <laughs> photos of planes that are a long way away. Yeah. So I mean, to me, what what you showed in those photos was very consistent with uh, just you know in, in one case the black dot like you know some kind of fly or a bird and the other two kind of looked like planes to me you get the white cigar shape which is typical of a a plane seen at some distance and then there's another one that looked like a a plane higher up like something like you know something with a coloration like different livery or red red wings or a red body but they didn't look too to me they didn't look too inconsistent with planes and you talk about the adsb data which is the flight tracking Right. There aren't really any receivers in that area. Uh, you, you you quite often see um, dropouts in that area because there's very few. It's not very very populated. I believe you have your own receiver on the ranch, uh, but I don't know if that was operating at, at that time.
1: Yeah, what you do see reliably is you do see the the air traffic that surrounds the basin, and you can, I mean, you you can. Right. fairly reliably track, you know, conventional aircraft that are, yeah. that are coming in and out. I, I will say the, the, uh, the image that you're referencing relative to the black dot, um, that uh-huh. was kind of over the shoulder of a, of a, of a gentleman that was not taken with an iPhone success with that was actually okay. taken by, uh, by another individual. It was actually taken by a visitor to the ranch on, uh, on the day of, uh, I think it was October sixteenth, twenty sixteen, and it was a Nikon. It's actually a high quality uh, Nikon camera that uh, that captured a number of really interesting images. Uh, and uh, it was a Nikon D five thousand camera, whatever that is. So yeah. for what it's worth, we have a number of images that were captured in June that were that were really randomly. I mean, not. It, it, there was no expectation that uh, that they were going to go out and capture uh, photographic images of UFOs. It just you know it happened randomly, and uh, and those were the, the the daylight images that you see depicted. One was over the Mesa. We yeah. often refer to, we, we refer to it uh, playfully as the Millennium Falcon image because it kind of looks like a Millennium Falcon from Star Wars. Because it's kind of like the a white uh, white
0: line, isn't it, view from the side.
1: Yeah, so it's, be like, yeah, it's it's a little bit similar to the tic tac video yeah, image and whatnot. Um, you know that that was taken. You know the first part of June, and then the other image that uh, that that we that that same individual took on his iPhone that you know you see the metadata displayed for uh, was actually above the uh, the homestead one or above the main pasture. Right outside of the homestead and it was a it was an interesting object that was glowing that actually appeared right above the pasture and just stood there it was just stationary and then it zipped off and while it was sitting there for probably i don't know a minute or two uh, without moving, he was able to capture that image on his iphone and then it uh then then whatever it was quickly departed but it it definitely wasn't an airplane because right. it it just sat there stationary if if there was a conventional explanation for it it would be a drone for example but it didn't seem to operate like any drone that uh, that at least we're familiar with or could actually match up with that imagery
0: yeah it's a shame he didn't uh, didn't take video of it which would have been yeah.
1: uh yeah. at least
0: because still photos have big problems because it's very difficult to get a sense of how fast things are moving or if they're moving at a constant rate oh yeah, it's very uh, and judging. Judging distance is very hard as well. Uh, the you 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 described one as being over the mesa, and and, and you know it looks like he what this white thing that's over the mesa. But if it was over the mesa, it would essentially be like a, I don't know, like a an aluminum rod or something because it's not not very uh, not very far to the mesa from that spot, yeah, like it- about half a mile or so.
1: Oh, correct. No, it's quite off in the distance. I mean, but the uh, yeah. the the the. the, the for, Visually, um, you know, the, the object obviously wasn't stationary literally above the mesa. It was it was literally looking to the north of Homestead One or the main ranch house over the mesa out into the distance. So it was probably more clearly oriented somewhere around Bottle Hollow or up in that vicinity. I mean, it's, you know, without without other angles, you know, to allow for better yeah. spatial awareness. It's, it's impossible to be able to identify the exact size and scale and location. Yeah,
0: I think without knowing any context of it, at least just looking at that from, you know, I do a lot of like plane analyzing uh, data from that type of thing, and it could well be a, a plane at high altitude at 30,000 feet that's about 20 miles away. I think a lot of people don't realize how mm-hmm. far away planes are when you're looking kind of you know, over there rather than up at 45 degrees, it's a fairly low angle essentially when you're just looking up over the Mesa. Uh,
1: yeah. It, it, it appeared to be, it, it appeared to be closer. I, I guess, you know, what I found most intriguing was the fact that there wasn't any flight data showing anything coming or going from the vicinity or the basin in that mm-hmm. area that would a al- lot that would align with, that photo image. I yeah. I I had the same the same suspicion when he when my drone surveyor brought brought me the image. In fact he called and said I, I've got this image on my iPhone. Uh, I want to show it to you and I said I want you to stop any everything. I said drop everything. I want you to drive straight from the ranch drive two and a half hours to my office and I want you to plug your phone right into my graphics director's computer because I, I I don't want anyone else touching your phone if there's something legitimate that you believe you've captured if you if there's something truly anomalous I don't want anything uh, anything compromising either the metadata or the the integrity of that image and uh, so when he brought it to me it was it was interesting following kind of the the initial uh, analysis of the photo I mean the first place we turned you know was was really the flight data and that's when I I scratched my head that 's when I thought you know that's interesting that we we couldn't we couldn't line it up with anything conventional
0: yeah 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 well I, I've, yeah I, I totally believe that that's what happened, but uh, i've had a lot of experience of people saying that they couldn't uh, line things up with with the flight data when you know, I, I do a lot of the uh, chemtrails conspiracy theory is one of the things that I look into a lot. And so, a lot of people say I saw this plane spraying, and uh, I couldn't find it on the on flight radar twenty four. And then they send me a photo, and then I look at the data, and I I see it's actually a bit further away or a bit to the left or something like that. So sure. it's unless you're a uh, you had a lot of experience uh, looking at uh, photos and flight radar, it is. It is possible that you know you can you can actually misidentify it. Oh, of course, it could be possible that it wasn't wasn't on the radar, and it could have, of course be possible that it was some kind of weird, unusual flying object or a drone or something. It's
1: yeah, uh, uh, it's obviously not conclusive. I mean, I have been very careful not to claim that it's a, you know that it's a an alien craft or anything of that nature. Only that we find that the the circumstances surrounding you know the the photography, the that image, and and the lack of, uh, the lack of evidence of anything conventional, uh, yeah, you know, I think bears some further investigation. Yeah. And and at the, at the very least, what it did is it inspired me to try to carefully improve our data logging and surveillance efforts out at the ranch. I mean, it it, it has been a process, not an event. You know, yeah. we see that evidence with the uh, television program as well. It's yeah, you know, we're learning a lot, and we're making yeah. incremental improvements.
0: So you, you said these these three images and uh, other things around like 2016 were kind of what triggered your 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 interest and your feeling that there was something really worth investigating, or, or you know, accelerated that process. Uh, have you personally seen anything with your own eyes that is mm-hmm. unusual? Can you talk? Yeah, about that? in
1: fact, yeah we we had. uh, we had a circumstance in October 2016 where we were entertaining, uh, some prominent visitors that flew in, uh, for the day. In fact, the, the senior member of that group, you know, had, 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 uh, wanted to visit the ranch for many years, had apparently approached the, uh, the Bigelow, uh, people in order to get, uh, get permission and was not granted access. And, and, uh, when, when he reached out to me through, um, you know, some science advisors, I, I was open and I said, look, as long as you sign a liability waiver and a confidentiality agreement, I don't have any problem hosting you and your team for the day. And so we welcomed them out to the ranch. I had already owned the property for six months and had been visiting, you know, the property every month in order to to kind of address what needed to be done in order to improve the the facilities there. And also really wrap my mind around what, uh, you know what the investigation needed to look like moving forward well we uh, we we ended up going out to the property with this group and it seemed almost immediately upon our arrival we had some frustrating things occur uh, We had some cell phone anomalies uh, you know my principal investigator that you see on the show uh, was was very surprised to see that his uh, his iPhone started malfunctioning for no apparent reason, right up on the mesa. In fact, uh, uh, you know, it started, it started wigging out and, and t- turning a, uh, a magenta color. And mm-hmm. he was, he was pretty surprised. He was alarmed by what he was seeing and, you know, called me up to the mesa. I, I quickly hiked up, you know, the face of it. And, uh, and by the time I got up there, you know, the phone wasn't malfunctioning and I just chuckled. I said, ah, oh, <laughs> that's funny. And he, he scratched his head as well. He says, you know, I wish you could have seen this. And so we, we proceeded and uh, ended up taking this group out to the old homestead area, Homestead 2. And as we piled out of the UTV and the other vehicles that uh, that were transporting these visitors, and we made our way around to the front of the, uh, the old uh, homesteads there, you know, the group collectively started exclaiming, that they were feeling some vertigo. In fact, uh, you know, I was, I was probably about, I don't know, 30, 40 feet away from the main group that had assembled uh, right in front of those old homesteads. And they were all, you know, I heard them all say, wow, are you feeling what I'm feeling? And, you know, they were all, you know, expressing some concern that they, they felt some, uh, some mm-hmm. vertigo. And uh, so I quickly run over to the group and I don't feel anything. But Eric Bard, who's sitting there with that same smartphone that uh, had apparently been uh, experiencing some difficulty earlier, he said, "He he says, look at my phone. Look at what is happening." And and sure enough, right there, the phone was turning magenta. was was malfunctioning, and he was able to screen capture the uh, really? the change on the phone. Yeah, and so we we which was great. He was <laughs> able to. He had enough presence of mind, and that's that's one of the problems, as you've you've seen, in uh, in addressing these topics from a skeptical point of view over the years. You know, it's you know people don't have the presence of mind when they're in the moment to really properly document or record what they're witnessing, and uh, and he did. He actually ended up doing a screen capture. We thought that was intriguing, and as we are all sitting there. Kind of comparing notes, and everyone was saying, "Gosh, that was that was a funny sensation that was felt for a number of. It was probably about, I don't know, ten twenty seconds that the group was experiencing that collectively. And this is a diverse group. These aren't friends. These aren't people that uh, that had met previously. We brought together a diversity of participants for that day, and uh, and so it was interesting to see all of these people from different backgrounds experiencing this, and then you know while we're standing there i i noticed that the uh the main security yeah, the gentleman who had accompanied our our principal guest for the day that uh, that had introduced himself as private security for this gentleman was absent and i thought well, hmm. where's george you know his name is george i said what well, where is george at has anyone seen george and by this time about 10 minutes had lapsed as we had, you know, been comparing notes. And uh, I walked around the back end of the homestead to, to try to see where where this, uh, this gentleman was. And as I was walking around to the back of the old homesteads, it was like I entered an anechoic chamber, a soundproof room. And uh, there, were these audito- it was, there was an auditory sensation. It was almost like my ears were boxed. And all of the ambient noise, uh, to a degree, was was completely muted. And right there in the distance, where we had parked the uh, Ranger, the Polaris Ranger UTV, um, standing upright in the back of the Ranger, was this huge—I mean, about six foot five, uh, built like a tank—gentleman. And uh, and so I I continued to walk toward the UTV having this sensation. And as I, as I made my way and, and grew closer, the ambient noise came back and, and was restored, which I thought was, uh, was interesting. And I, I yelled to him and I said, George, and this, it, it it was clear that his eyes were closed. He was standing, you know, fully upright in the back, the back of this uh, UTV. And by the time I got up there, his eyes fluttered open. I said, what, what are you doing? Why do you, is something wrong? And he, uh, he looked down at me and he says, well, that was strange. And, uh, I said, so what's happening? Uh, and he, uh, he said, well, as soon as all of you piled out of the UTV to make your way around to the front of the homestead, I was paralyzed and blacked Hmm. out. And, uh, he says, how long have I, how long have I been back here? And I said, well, it's probably been about 10 minutes. And, He just shook his head, and uh, he said, that was the strangest thing. I I don't know what happened. I said, have you ever had this occur in your life? Have you ever had something like this happen? He said, no. He was pretty stoic, very serious, sober man. It was interesting. That morning when I first met him, I kind of chuckled and was joking about all of the UFO claims and the high strangeness and everything surrounding the property when we were getting them to sign the confidentiality and the liability waivers. And, uh, and I, and I asked them point blank. So do you believe in, in UFOs? Do you believe in, in, uh, the phenomenon? Uh, this, this gentleman in particular said, absolutely not. I'm just here, uh, as security to accompany my friend, uh, for the day's events. And he was, he was, Very sober, very serious in his statement that he didn't believe it. But anyways, I I found that interesting. And about that time, as he got out and we walked around the front, I looked down. I wanted to take some group photos of everyone. And lo and behold, my phone was dead. Hmm. It was completely dead. Uh, The battery had been completely drained. It was interesting. I'll tell you we got out there and I had at least 80% charge on my, on my iPhone. And I it was very frustrating it, simply because I, you know, that's, that's what we've come to rely on for our cameras, you know, to record, you know, momentous occasions and whatnot. And, and as I walked around the the front, I said, Jesus, my, my phone's gone dead. It's completely drained. Well, guess, guess what? The other's phones were drained as well. Hmm. And, uh, And so I said, well, we have phone chargers back at the command center, back at the security trailer. Why don't we all, you know, why don't we all hop back in and we'll take our phones back and, you know, I, I need to have access to my text messaging, you know, to my email because I, you know, this is in the middle of the day, middle of the week. And I, I stay connected 24 seven to my office, to my, to my business. I said, I, I can't just (laughs) not have connectivity. And so. We uh, we we ended up taking the uh, phones back, ch- plugging them in, and decided to go back out to not only the homesteads but also to look at the uh, what I call the observation towers or what is infamously referred to as the bait pens. Yeah. I, I'm I'm learning quickly not to refer to them as the bait pens, yes. which was which was a carryover from the Bigelow era. That's that's uh, really what they were referred to, and you know. That reference, of course, unfortunately carried on, you know, through the last several years as we have managed the property. But uh, I'm getting to the punchline here. I'm getting to the to the event um, as we went back out and we looked at the uh, the observation towers, which are pretty ominous. You see them on the show yeah. quite a bit. Look like and, God uh, towers, exactly. You know, they you know they're all you know enclosed with barbed wire fence and. And uh, they had their purpose back during the, uh, the Bigelow investigation and ownership. It was, it was interesting. As we were making our way later in the afternoon back from the old homesteads toward uh, the security trailer to, to retrieve our devices, to get our phones back, um, all of a sudden behind me in this open-air Polaris Ranger, you know, one of the individuals shouted and said, Hey, stop the vehicle. And I was driving. And uh, so I, you know, I tried to bring it to a, to a stop and I, I said, what, what's going on? And I look over my shoulder at him and he's pointing up toward the Mesa, which is on the left. It's to my left or basically mm-hmm. the North side of the property. And he says, look at that. What is that? And lo and behold, right above the, uh, the Mesa was a silver grayish disc like object. And it was just sitting there stationary. And uh, what was interesting, there were a number of hawks that, that were, had been flying that we'd been observing in the day, and there were still there were some birds flying around, but right beyond the hawks, above the, the mesa was this this object that uh, you know was probably I mean just trying to spatially identify how big it was was probably forty to fifty feet long, mm-hmm. and in uh, the three of us that were pointing up at it said, well, you, that's, what is that? And then all of a sudden within about three to four seconds, it changed position and it didn't, it didn't float. It didn't move, um, in a, in a conventional way. It literally changed position, roughly 50 feet in the blink of an eye, almost wow. like a video, almost like a video game. And, mm-hmm. uh, it, it shifted position to the North or to the left by 50 feet, and then we all exclaimed. We were like, "Wow, how did it just do that?" And then, and then about three, four seconds later, it dropped to a to a position, kind of a hover position, right above the mesa. Dropped about 50 feet, again instantaneously. A few seconds later, it shifted again to the right, and uh, and then, in the blink of an eye, it was gone. It it mm. literally. It was almost like it was reduced to a dot, and and, and was gone. The, the entire event that was witnessed uh, by the three of us was about a 20-second event. Uh, I was very frustrated because, again, we, our, our phones had been dead. And, uh, you know, it all happened so quickly. Uh, but it, it left us all very surprised. And, you know, I, it was so big. This was not just some dot in the sky or some silver white orb-like looking, you know, object. It was literally a silverish gray disc in the fashion of what people have described for decades as being, you know, kind of your traditional flying saucer type of object. And, you know, to this day, you know, one thing that happened following that event when we all went back and we concluded our day and everyone departed, um, my principal investigator, Eric Bard, who, by the way, very skeptical, he entered this with the same really mindset that I had, which was, you know, that there, there was really a, a natural explanation for all of what had been uh, recorded or at least, uh, cl- claimed to have occurred on the ranch. Well, Eric quickly, um, you know after that day ended up separately interviewing the other two gentlemen and myself in order to you know independently you know take down their account of the incident in order to see if there were some consistencies or inconsistencies and uh, i think he was very surprised in that our accounts were virtually identical we mm-hmm. all viewed the same event we all essentially had the same the same, uh, the same experience, and uh, most interesting, the the big guy, George, that I that had been there as security, that uh, that had that had been red- rendered catatonic in the back of that UTV uh, during that earlier experience. The next day, ended up in the hospital, and was mm-hmm. ill for three weeks. Mm. Uh, ended up reporting that for three weeks he had a uh, he was he was very very sick and the doctors apparently uh, couldn't diagnose what what he was sick with it was flu-like it was almost a, a flu-like illness that uh, that rendered him really uh, kind of flat on his back he was bedridden for uh, for a number of weeks and this is this guy has got to be one of the biggest most strong people that i've ever encountered right. in my life and so so i i hope you don't mind the uh, the lengthy account no, that no, i just shared uh, but
0: more details that, it,
1: it it changed that day changed my perspective right um, yeah. did, did i did i suddenly believe in aliens visiting from mars or outer space no uh but did i uh did i have a more open mind um yeah, you, know, you can't unsee something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I think it what it did is it inspired me to use a bit more diligence and to to hopefully invest the resources needed in order to fully understand what was happening on and around that property.
0: Yeah, to this day it remains
1: remains intru- interesting
0: that was that was the day i guess of uh,
1: yeah. your uh,
0: yeah so this um, you know you all saw this uh, this silver disc type thing uh, like over the mesa or you know some some disc to the north uh, did you afterwards when you you gave your accounts did you draw diagrams of what it looked like and where it was spatially and uh, the size of it uh-huh. and things like that yep. and like you the, bet. The, the 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 motion path perhaps
1: Yep so, in fact uh, that i immediately i went home and i mm. tried to uh, photoshop <laughs> kind of right. a, a yeah, diagram that's, because, that's very good you know, eric bard eric bard he wanted not only me to put it in writing he wanted me to carefully document my uh my you know testimony of, yeah. of what had happened but he wanted me to visually provide him with a with a reference or a diagram and so you know we we identified a photo image uh, that had been taken earlier of really that portion of the Mesa and roughly, you know, within it within a, a pretty reliable distance, I mean, probably within, I don't know, 100 feet of where we were parked and witnessed that incident, um, we kind of identified it, a comparable image that we could use as a reference point and use that as kind of an illustrative example of what had happened that day. That's and
0: good. That's the way to do it.
1: Yeah, so very interesting.
0: Yeah, so um, you know, you obviously you have lots of cameras on the ranch now, and you've had these cameras set up for quite a while. Uh, have have they captured anything of that magnitude of interest?
1: Yes, um, we've had a few. We've we've had actually a handful of other incidents that have been recorded. In fact, both daytime and nighttime, uh, we, we've had a number of uh of I guess what you'd call UFO sightings at night over the ranch that uh that we have not been able to assign a mm-hmm. a conventional explanation to. Uh you know, lights. we're still analyzing some of that and you kind know lights
0: I, in the sky type thing at night. Yeah. You can't generally see details yeah. of things.
1: Yeah, lights in the sky, and, you know, we, we kind of alluded to this in the first episode of the television program, you know, luminous phenomena, you know, on the mesa that has been recorded and witnessed by people. Yeah. I mean, we've had numerous witnesses coupled with the video imagery, you know, we've had, you know, night vision footage, you know, that has captured some of this, uh, what appears to be anomalous uh, activity, and, and along with that, we've seen you know, we've seen lights in the sky that have that have been very interesting in the way that they've behaved. Some mm-hmm. of the behavior is not conventional UFO behavior. It's not like a spaceship or some object just hovering. It's, you know, we have one video where, where we captured an object that is moving so erratically. Uh, and it's, you know, it's during a period of time. In fact, I think it was during December. Uh, I think it was... Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, right before Christmas, I think it was December 23rd, and uh, the object was moving so erratically in so many different uh, different ways that uh, it it uh, it was it was quite unusual. And hmm. and coupled with that imagery, we saw a reaction on the mesa. We saw luminous phenomena that uh, that seemed to correlate with the unidentified flying object or whatever you'd call it or characterize it as you know I you know one thing I continue to be reminded of on a week-to-week basis in fact I've I've heard this mantra probably now a thousand times during my ownership of the ranch and that has come from Eric Bard who continues to say Brandon correlation is not causation (laughs) Um, he, he, I mean, it, I don't think there's been a week that has gone by in the last four years since, uh, bringing him on board and acquiring the property and really launching our investigation that I have not been reminded of that, that just because you're seeing events that defy explanation or seem to be unusual, it doesn't mean that the correlation of certain events, you know, points to some type of unusual cause. You have to have other data to support yeah.
0: Real so all this, uh, this, this footage you've got, uh, you've got a variety of ones that are interesting, and you've got somewhere you've got like a possible correlation between things. Uh, you've you obviously got all this like on a bunch of hard drives somewhere. Um, why don't you release all of this footage and let people have a look at it?
1: Ah, uh, we're going to. You know, I part of it is to be candid. Time. This is this is mm-hmm. such a small part of my life. Um, you know, I. I I, I'm you know, I work eighteen to twenty hours a day. I represent several hundred prominent commercial real estate projects, you know, buildings. You know, right now I have gosh, well over a million, probably about one point four million square feet of office mm. developments under construction right now that I have responsibility for. And and that that has been the case, you know, for the last twenty years of my career. And uh, couldn't you just like, tell one of your
0: investigators, like, put all the good footage on a Dropbox? and uh, Yeah,
1: you know, people yeah, link? We're, we're working on it. So one thing that we're looking to release in the next, uh, gosh, I don't know. My, my hope is by the time the, uh, the series finale occurs next Tuesday, we, we hope to launch a web portal that I've been investing mm-hmm. in that will actually allow for more peer review and the release of some of these other videos and anomalies, you know, the, you know, the analysis that has been conducted, you know, I, I really want to take a very collaborative, transparent approach to what we are experiencing on the property, what we're, we're recording. And, uh, and I think having a more inclusive, uh, collaborative approach with the community will hopefully help us get to the bottom of what really is at work at Skinwalker Ranch.
0: I think you will, uh, at the very least, be able to exclude uh, some things because we'll be able to identify some things as as aircraft or whatever. Uh, This is something that uh, I I think it's happened before with various other uh, UFO investigations where people have, have kept the data you know, for themselves and analyzed it and then when it's eventually released to the broader audience, uh it's it's it can be like analyzed and people actually do figure out what it was even though the investigators couldn't figure it out. Just because they happen to have some uh domain specific sure. knowledge, like in you know, a very narrow domain that you know the investigators might not have.
1: Yeah. And if- I I the great challenge with this with this effort is uh is being able to separate the signal from the noise mm-hmm. and you know, I think having more eyes, more, uh, more experts, more, you know, more opinions, uh, frankly, uh, that can weigh in and bring different perspectives uh, and skill sets to the table will hopefully help us yield better results. I, I've always believed in, in really employing a multidisciplinary approach to the problem set at the ranch. You know, I don't okay. think you can just simply bring on an astrophysicist. Or a plasma physicist, if you will, to to be able to render an opinion uh, relative to what is being seen. I think you need to bring people from from uh, I think uh, a number of various disciplines, and I think having um, having some uh, non scientists as well, having some some fresh eyes that uh, that may not um, employ uh, the same approach can help probably answer some of the questions or at least mm-hmm. open discussions that will lead to uh, truly understanding what is happening. But I, I've really wanted to get to the bottom of the truth. I, 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 and I, I'm hopeful that what we're, what we're doing right now will help us bring that forward. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned earlier about, you know, getting your, uh, the investigator to bring his phone to you so you can get the, the raw footage with the metadata. And if you, if you do release, um, uh, data i think it's really important to make sure you release like all of the contextual data around that and the original uh footage and the original raw files if possible i know they can yeah. be kind of big but you know data space is is cheap nowadays so uh <laughs> you know I'd, I, I would download a a one gigabyte video file if it meant i, I would get a better version of that but, so i could analyze it uh A bit better so yeah please if you're gonna upload that uh there's a bunch of people like on metabunk my my website who just like doing this type of thing we like looking at videos and photos and trying to figure out what's actually on uh on the on the on the video or the photos is it a plane is it is it a bird is it a alien spaceship is it a (laughs) army secret drone you know whatever it is you want to find out what it is and of course like a lot of the time it ends up being uh fairly mundane, but sometimes we can't figure out what it is. So yeah, yeah, it, it, it would be good to use that resource, not just Metabunk, but you know, everybody on Twitter and uh, and Facebook and Reddit who are interested in that type of thing as well.
1: Yeah, I I've wanted to bring kind of a whole new uh approach to this uh these topics. You know, I've I've and you see this. I mean I I've I've really worked hard to be as transparent as, uh, candid as I can relative to Mm -hmm. the nature of our investigation, our motivations, um, and, and really what we're, what we're trying to accomplish here at Skinwalker Ranch. You know, I believe that, that this could very well be a, a living laboratory of sorts. It, It sure appears to be that way, uh, based on the diversity of phenomena that continues to be recorded on the property. I mean, when you, when you, when you bring together uh, data that confirms everything from the electromagnetic anomalies to the acute medical episodes that seem to accompany these you know electromagnetic events and and then you have photographic or videographic evidence that also can accompany that uh, coupled with witness testimony you know multiple witnesses so you're not just taking one person's word for it you have multiple parties that are attesting to the, you know, to what is being observed. I think it gets interesting. And that's what I did not expect uh, relative to the ranch is I, I didn't expect that we would see so much that we would see such a mm-hmm. diversity of activity and events. And, and, you know, you talk about, you know, repeating results, you know, being able to properly characterize what is happening. If you're really going to have a scientific investigation if you're really going to use scientific rigor and and principles uh, you have to you have to build boundary conditions around your investigation and be able to to repeat and your uh, your experiments and at least uh, be able to show that there's that there's there's truly something at work other than you know you know something that is just anomalous that you have to take someone's word for it. And, and one thing that yeah. we've seen that is consistent is the electromagnetic, you right. know, you, the cell phone anomalies, you know, Eric Bard has, uh, has conducted, uh, quite a bit of research into, um, what type of acute medical episodes can accompany extreme electromagnetic, you know, Interference or events, you know, you know what, what, uh, you know, even the auditory phenomena that I that I experienced. You know, I related to you my experience of walking around the back of the uh, the old homestead and having, you know, mm-hmm. having this auditory sensation where all the ambient noise was essentially muted, and it 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 truly felt like I stepped into a soundproof chamber of sorts. And uh, and you know, it's interesting, you know, electromagnetic phenomena. At times, and you know that kind of interference can actually create those kind of those kind of reactions. Yeah, Biologically.
0: Yeah. Let's um, uh, let's talk about the uh, the show, the History Channel show, because some of what you said is stuff that was is shown on that show. Uh, how how did that um, how did that come about? Did, did they approach you?
1: Yes. So, g- good question. You know, I was. You know, within months of acquiring the property, we we were assaulted by numerous mm-hmm. requests. You know, I kept my identity completely uh, private. Um, in fact, you'd, you'd be hard pressed if I wouldn't have gone public. There really isn't anything on the title or in the public domain that would actually tie my my identity to the right. uh, the entity to Adamantium Real Estate LLC, which is the special purpose entity that I established. For owning and operating the ranch, and uh, I really had no interest in in opening the property up for a television effort. Um, you know, I was I was hit up for about a year. It was probably a solid year where I was I was approached by individuals involved with the History Channel and A and E Network that wanted to to pitch me on an investigative series of sorts and after about a year i finally i finally acquiesced to at least take a meeting and hear what uh what you know what they had in mind and uh and at least be able to to close that door close that chapter in a respectful manner and when we uh when we ended up having those discussions initially which was gosh i don't know october uh november of um Hang on, all my years are running together here. It was October, November of 2018. Um, I, was, I was intrigued, um, you know, but it wasn't until I actually met with Kevin Burns of Prometheus uh, Entertainment, who, uh, who's, who's kind of the go-to guy, I guess, for the, these type of programs on the History Channel, you know when Kevin burns flew out with his team to meet with me after again after a year of people bugging the hell out of me uh, through my managers and through intermediaries uh, I finally said you know I'll, I'm willing to take a meeting I'm willing to have a discussion and when I sat down with uh, with the group uh, representing the History channel and in uh, pitching me on this uh, I shared my motivation my story but I said look I'm not interested in any type of effort that would uh, that would involve fabricating or you know faking you know you know anything that would be contrived. I, I I've seen enough of these stupid mm-hmm. um, programs, of people tripping over themselves in the dark with night vision goggles, and I didn't want this effort. And really the nature of our investigation reduced to that type of program. Uh, And I told them, I said, look, if we were to engage, I have a number of conditions. Number one, it has to be absolute truth. Everything that you record, everything that is displayed has to be 100% true. You can't fabricate anything. Number two, you're going to have to use my team. I'm not interested in casting people Bringing in people from the outside that may be front-loaded, or maybe uh, you may have another agenda that may run contrary, that could undermine the integrity of what we're doing. And you know, I I introduced my team, which 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 includes people that I've known my whole life, uh, at least since I was 18 years old. And I said, "Look, you're you're going to have to you're going to have to work with my team in order to preserve the integrity and the authenticity." Of what we are, what we're doing out there in in the basin at Skinwalker Ranch. Number three, uh, I asked that my identity identity be kept confidential. Mm-hmm. I did not want my identity to be revealed. Uh, I I didn't want to come out, and and, uh, and have any of my professional endeavors be compromised or potentially distracted as a result of. My involvement with with this ranch and with uh, these efforts, and uh, as we met and we visited, you know, they had no problem granting me my uh, my first two conditions. But uh, they 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 came back and said, "Look, we we do not believe that we can appropriately address the topic of the ranch and really the team and and create a uh, a credible." Uh, investigative series without your involvement without you in essence coming out of the closet and and being being brave enough to reveal your identity and uh they said it you know we really believe that that's essential to to really preserving the integrity of what what you're trying to to establish here and uh and so I I had to give it a lot of thought and I ultimately and reluctantly Agreed to participate because I think they they had a point. I agreed. I said, look, you know, there's a lot of people out there that have either kept their identities secret or they have not engaged with the community. They have not been forthcoming or transparent. They have uh, they've sequestered themselves away from the community and and frankly have not been willing to come forward uh, in 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 a collaborative way and and. I don't blame them. I mean, I, I can completely understand, especially now why so many credible people that are interested in these topics, avoid, uh, going public with their interest, uh, or, or really engaging with the public relative to their interest. even those with, with resources. And, so have you got some kind of blowback
0: from, uh, from your appearances? Has it affected you know, your business dealings at all?
1: Not, not yet. So Hmm. thankfully, you know, I, I haven't, at least that I'm aware of, I haven't, uh, I haven't had any negative blowback, but it it has been interesting, you know, to to see all of the the cast of characters involved with, with the community, uh, with ufology, all of the enthusiasts. And, you know, I, I have to tell you, I I think it's fun uh, to engage with people that, that share, similar interests that uh, that are that are really approaching this sincerely that are trying to get to the bottom of you know what is at work with the ufo phenomena and other related uh claims Uh, but i think there are a lot of people who also have their own agendas and uh and you know i think that historically speaking there are a lot of bad actors i think Hmm. there are a lot of charlatans there are a lot of uh there are a lot of bullshit artists. I don't know how else to put it, but the, I, I think there. I think being able to separate fact from fiction, and yeah. being able to separate those who have egos or trying to monetize their interest in this from those that are truly, sincerely engaged in in really analyzing these topics and really addressing them. I mean, it's a it's a difficult task. Yeah. I, I mentioned earlier. You know, this process is, is largely a process of trying to separate the signal from the noise. And I think, unfortunately, the majority of what you see out there right now is a lot of noise. And it's yeah. difficult to be able to, to reach in and to be able to pierce that and to, uh, to extract the, uh, the real meaningful data and, uh, and accounts yeah. that, that are legit
0: yeah it is it is there's is a lot of noise out there and you you specified in your agreement that you wanted there to be nothing fabricated in the show but i you mean know, i must say there are a few things that you know, we've discussed on twitter that kind of seem to verge on fabrication uh like for example as episode 4 uh the high strangeness. This is the one with the rocket launch and the UFO appearances. There's a scene there where they see this UFO in the distance and they're all standing on the, on the deck outside, outside the ranch house. And they're all looking up at this, this UFO. And the weird thing is that none of them have any binoculars. And they go on to right. say that then you know this is they couldn't identify it, and uh, they don't know what it is, and it was like weirdly glowing object, but it, it seems like if they had binoculars, they would have been to look at it and see that it was you know probably ooh, just a plane seems like that they don't seem like they're kind of part of a genuine investigation like if people are there you know thinking that they might see uFOs surely they would have binoculars, and it's especially strange because later in in episode seven. You have another scene where a UFO uh or something is, is spotted and uh oh it's a helicopter actually the helicopter scene and everybody's there with binoculars. There's right. <laughs> there's this like four different sets of binoculars yeah. and one guy with a long a long uh uh telescope type thing.
1: Yeah, I, I I would say the fact that when they were doing the you know they were conducting the rocket test, the fact that they didn't have binocular binoculars there, frankly, I think Proves that there wasn't something contrived. They weren't all at the ready. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that anyone was expecting that they're going to see some silver disc in the sky. Um, yeah, you know, I, I I actually think that they were genuinely surprised by that. So I I respectfully uh, right. disagree a bit in that I I think that if they really were trying to, you know, they were trying to anticipate or or believe that they were going to to uh, to take something. That uh, that that was occurring in the the atmosphere, and try to try to I don't know conjure yeah, up. I, I wouldn't say it's fabricated
0: as such, but it, it just seems yeah. rather odd that you know if this is the type of thing they were looking out for, yeah, you know, and they're going to launch a rocket. You think they would not binoculars well, and you know, their investigators?
1: Yeah, the, the, from what I understand, the the point of the rocket test was not to stimulate UFO activity, right. but it was to, it was to test. You know, RF, ELF. Yeah. you know, it, was, it you know, was equipped with sensors and yeah. such in order to, to do that. I, I don't think there was an expectation that it would trigger or act as a catalyst for, for revealing some type of anomalous UFO yeah. activity. And so I, 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 I actually think that, that what you saw captured there is so typical of so many yeah. other UFO sightings where people are like astonished. Hmm they're not they're not expecting it and I, I will say that most of the crew that were there that witnessed it um were very skeptical did not believe in the you know the the reality of the UFO phenomena they were just there to do a job and I think you know all of those people and I think there were probably about a dozen people that witnessed those events that occurred over those minutes of filming uh the the rocket exercise I think you know, they all came away quite surprised by what they saw, um, mm-hmm. and so it's it is interesting though. Um, on the helicopter incident, I have to give you really huge credit. In fact, I appreciate your investigative efforts and your due diligence in reaching out and uh, and frankly, you know, verifying that there probably is a a conventional explanation for yeah. that helicopter. You know, the the helicopter probably did deviate from its course. You know, to to come. You know, look over the ranch, but that doesn't necessarily signify, um, you know, some covert surveillance of the property. And uh, I really appreciated your diligence and and really tracking that down. And I think that uh, that I think more of that. I think if we see more people like you helping us to to be able to identify what uh, what may have a conventional explanation versus something that could be. You know, unexplained will will help advance the topic.
0: Yeah, that was quite a tricky investigation actually, because uh, there wasn't any ADSB data there. There was a big gap in the helicopter flying from one side to the other, so I couldn't find it. I had to do a bunch of image searching to try to find out what helicopter it was. But I think you know, I I, I appreciate that, but I I still feel like there's there's some kind of unanswered questions about what all, how that was portrayed on that episode, you know, in sure. particular you did have everybody looking up with binoculars. Uh, sure. one guy with a, a gun scope, quite a large, long one. Uh, and you, right. they should have been able to see the number on the side of the helicopter. It was, it was, it was almost visible in the 1080p video that you had. Right. There. So
1: yet, so, well, and I wasn't there, but I, from yeah. what I understand from all of the participants, they whether it be the angle, of the helicopter, whatever, they couldn't make out the, uh, The numbers and, you know, for what it's worth, it's, you know, they made it into a more dramatic event than it probably was. I mean, I, I, uh, that's one of the challenges with television is, and with this particular medium is, you know, there is a bit of drama. You have the music, you have uh, the way that the, uh, the content is edited that can sometimes detract from you know the credibility of the events uh, right. or or t- to some degree i think uh you know be be crafted in such a way to elicit a response but wh- what we've endeavored to do is we're not showing like for instance we're not fabricating a a helicopter a, yeah. you know out of thin air we're not trying to for instance the also the ufo uh sighting that the uh that the people had there um you know, simultaneous with the rocket experiment. I mean, we, we captured what was truly a genuine authentic reaction from the cast and crew associated with that, with that event and with the experimentation that was happening. Same thing holds true. You you probably recall the, uh, the balloon, uh, where they, you know, the balloon incident. I mean, the gentleman, I can't remember his name, but the, uh, the gentleman who they brought out uh, that, that that deployed the uh, the balloon and the instrumentation was, and I think still is, truly baffled mm-hmm. by the loss of the balloon, by what was recorded, what he observed, and that's what we have tried to do with probably varying levels of success, is we've tried to bring in uh, third-party engineers and experts whether we're approaching it, you know, the ground penetrating radar studies or the drone thermography imaging relative to the site, you know, we're, you know, we're looking into deep ground penetrating measurement technologies and, and, you know, some of these other experiments in order to, in order to understand, you know, what is at work here over the ranch. And, and so you don't have to take our team's word for it. I think we've, we've tried to, under the, the guidance of, kind of the, the production team and whatnot bring in other third parties that can hopefully help us advance right. the discussion.
0: Yeah. So like another thing, um, that, that seems a little, mm, perhaps, uh, sensationalized for want of a better word is the, uh, the, the electromagnetic radiation readings. Like you have, right. uh, Travis Taylor, the, uh, the, the scientist, uh, doing a lot of looking at his tri-field meter. And I, I, I have a tri-field meter, which I, I ah. bought a few weeks ago. Uh, they're fun little devices. I mean, they're essentially the devices that are sold to people who are kind of a bit paranoid about uh, EMF radiation in their homes. Uh, right. And it works fairly well, but it only goes up to 20. So it's a pretty low level. I think it's 20 uh, milliwatts per meter squared. Uh, I'm going to turn it on, see what I'm at now and it's it's like the the types of the types of numbers that you get on these uh, these tri meters they kind of go all over the place you know depending on how close they are to electrical equipment or to, to cell phones uh things like that and they can very easily peg out just in a normal situation like in my room here now obviously you wouldn't expect that you're out in the middle of a field i've taken this out into the middle of my field out back i also live on an an old ranch, essentially, it's a, a housing development that was once a ranch, and it, it, it reads zero. It? Uh, it not that a, I know was of. Was it
1: built on a graveyard? <laughs> uh,
0: quite possibly, quite possibly, <laughs> but uh, only a graveyard of, of dead cows. But this, the trifilometer. meter, you know, it, it it works. You move it close to uh, my Wi-Fi router, and it will it will go to a, go up to twenty. You know, it meets the maximum. It's uh, right next to the microwave. It will go up to twenty, but. When you sh- when you see it in the show, you basically don't see that much difference to do what I'm showing you here. Like it pops up around to the the low the low numbers, like five to ten, something like that, uh, yeah. and it, it 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 oscillates a lot, and especially if it's near a phone. And in all of the situations that uh, you show, Travis getting excited and he was waving it around, and saying it's coming from here, it's coming from there, and it's going crazy and it's making the little beeping noises. The numbers don't really seem that unusual to me, especially given the fact that there's a group of people around. Uh, Some of them have their cell phones and some of them are not on airplane mode. And you can actually see that in some of the shots. And most of them uh, are wearing wireless microphone packs that are attached to their their back. And some of them can be fairly high powered, I think 250 uh, milliwatts uh, power of uh, transmission. So what you're seeing in the show doesn't look like unusual levels of RF. Now, would you agree with that? Or what what do you think they was unusual? Or was there like other sets of readings on other
1: equipment that yeah, good good just, question. Uh, good question and good observation. I I'd say yeah, let me make a blanket statement in that in in both Dr. Taylor and Dr. Sagala's defense, you know, you know what we're seeing translated on the television program is is a you know a number of quick edits coupled with audio, you know, and the video capturing their reactions and the events that were unfolding. And so I, I mm-hmm. think there, there there are times when, you know, whatever whatever the cameramen are recording on the handheld devices may not directly correlate with, with some of the statements in the moment that are being made by, by the scientists. And so, you know, to to a degree. I think there, there is a little bit of a challenge with the editing process. Again, when you're trying to to approach an endeavor like this and to present a cohesive narrative uh, that 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 really accounts for what is happening. All that said, is kind of a preface to my next statement. I mean i i'm I'm not as familiar. I mean i i i don't present myself as an expert on on these devices and uh i'm probably not uh qualified to really unfortunately speak to some of your concerns the only thing i can say and this will sound like such a cop-out i know you're going to chuckle is that you know all i can say is i have three scientists standing there especially i have two, two i have two gentlemen you know with phds in physics that have worked with all sorts of electronics that are very well acquainted with what could be affecting the sensors at different times that, that is conventional. And when I, when I have two individuals, you know, one who has two PhDs and three master's degrees, and then I have another one who has uh, you know, has a PhD and master's as well in topics that frankly approach, you know, you know, the, the instrumentation and the physics underpinning how these work, you know, I I have to defer to them and what mm. their assessment is in the moment um, and and i I don't believe I I, I I met dr. Taylor in conjunction with engaging with uh, with the history channel you know yeah. he was the one he was the one party that they uh, requested uh, would be a, you know a potential scientist to bring on to challenge the team and to bring another set of eyes and i was I was excited to bring him into, uh, into the family, if you will. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Dr. Sagala, I've had, a you know, I've had years of interaction with him and he has always struck me as someone who employs the scientific method and is, uh, is quite measured and sober in his approach to, mm-hmm. to really analyzing the data. So that's a really long winded way of me saying, I don't really know how to address specific questions you may have relative to images flashing on the screen and you know what what is being observed and being able to again parse that which may be associated with interference as a result of the wireless devices that are employed Mm -hmm. in the recording and that which is not and and again I don't mean to sound like like I'm trying to take the easy way out or trying to to uh, kick the can down the road if you will, or trying to pass it off to someone else. But I, I think that's something that we need to look into cl- more closely. And frankly, I think we're going to be able to address that topic. I think a little bit more effectively in a season two in mm. further treatments. Yeah. You know, sure. One thing that, uh, that, that I'm encouraged by is it, it appears that we're going to begin filming in short order, you know, another, uh, you know, 10 oh. episodes and uh and really launching into a season 2 that will hopefully be able to address some of these topics with a little bit more diligence and uh and and hopefully i think uh uh resolve some of the concerns that have been yeah. been, been brought forward yeah Good i think so that,
0: that would be, Good yeah they and I, I don't want to uh, uh, you know, harp on the the trifield meter too much, but it it, it does feature very strongly in the show. And, uh, sure. and, and like you say, like your, your scientists uh, aren't generally the ones waving it around. It's usually uh, Dr. Taylor, and yeah. uh, it's not just him showing it, you know, flashing some numbers and and say and them being suspicious. He does actually talk about those numbers as well. I think in the last sure. episode or p- perhaps the previous one. He he says like you know this is uh, this is like you know fourteen or something like that, and he says like if I right. held this outside of a microwave, it would be around two or three, and so fourteen is like mm-hmm. being inside the microwave, which is you know perhaps the most nonsensical uh, description of the levels you could possibly imagine. I mean, for a start, if I hold this outside my microwave, it actually it actually will peg out at twenty. Uh, if you move it a bit further away, it will go down to, to 14. So suggesting that it's like the inside of a microwave where uh, the levels are literally, let me, off the top of my head, like 50,000 times higher uh, for a 1,000-watt microwave, 50,000 times higher, or perhaps 500 now, 50,000 times higher than what he was suggesting uh, as being the inside of a microwave it just doesn't make any sense. And it's, it, it just it just strikes me as being something being played for drama rather Mm -hmm. than actual science.
1: Yeah. And I, all I can say is, uh, Dr. Taylor's credentials speak for themselves. Dr. Sagala's background, his credentials and, uh, whether they were, uh, whether some of the edits, um, had some of the, the data lost in translation. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I appreciate your uh, your criticism and your concern relative to to what is shown in some of the uh, the claims and what was what was depicted um and I I don't really have a satisfactory answer for you other than to say that I think we had some highly competent people there yeah. making statements and I would be very surprised if they were just making stuff up or that they would go on camera misrepresenting the nature of the data or the readings just for the sake of television.
0: Yeah. I think he approached charitably that is just being a bit overexcited about things and saying what (laughs) came to the, came off the top of his head Uh, because, you know, obviously he is a, a scientist and he would know that, uh, he wasn't inside a microwave at, at that point so he was sure. just going for a, a dramatic uh, interpretation yeah. of what was going on
1: yeah i don't i don't have it I, I don't have specific training in in these areas i i don't have a phd let alone multiple phds addressing you know you know scientific stop- topics and instrumentation and I, I i have to rely on people mhm to To hopefully give me proper analysis and advise me appropriately, and if anything, I, I think what this this television effort has taught me is 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 uh, to be more prepared uh, <laughs> for for questions. I, I I I will admit. I mean, let me confess. I was not I was not prepared for a lot of the questions that would come forward. Um, just simply because a, I'm busy. (laughs) I've got a lot of other, this television show and this ranch really constitutes a very, very, very small part of my life and is not a part of my day to day conventional activities that have consumed my, uh, my, my life and career over the course of the last 25 years. But also I'm going through a learning experience as well. Sure. And, uh, and you know it i mentioned earlier at the the beginning of uh of our podcast you know this is really a uh, it's an evolution of of really bringing online the instrumentation bringing the type of experts it's it's a process not an event you know we haven't had some seminal event where all of a sudden we flip a switch and then all of a sudden we have you know perfect data <laughs> that uh, that that is you know crystal yeah. clear and the right type of instrumentation I hope to get there so my intention uh, my intention is to 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 hopefully make those improvements as we progress in service to to really understanding what we're seeing and and frankly to be able to give people like you an opportunity to collaborate and to weigh in on mm-hmm. what we have recorded I I actually love that you you took the uh, the time to even identify that we with some of those images that we flashed on the documentary, for example, that we did have metadata that accompanied those pictures. I mean, I I've tried to to make sure that we're you know that we're that we're credible that we are yeah. uh, that we that, that we're having integrity with. Yeah, uh, I certainly appreciate this that investigation.
0: Yeah, so one one last little quibble I have with the uh, uh, the show uh, is the uh, the fly, the, uh, <laughs> the dark UFO over the dead cow. Do you uh, you know, I, from from my looking at it, it looks just like other videos of uh, of flies flying by. It's in two right. frames, and it's a dark, black, blurry thing, and it, it's in about the right spot at the right time and the mm-hmm. right uh, size and speed and everything. So that featured fairly heavily, and it seems like it might feature in the next sure. episode. Is there more you to bet it, it? will.
1: Uh, you know, uh, all I can say is there are many people that, uh, that, that have differing opinions. Um, mm. Again, those that were there, the scientists that have analyzed the footage, you know, all of the events, and again, going back to, you know, correlation does not necessarily mean causation, but it does make for some very interesting, uh, some interesting discussion. And, and frankly, it, it it helps us, I think, focus a lot of our efforts a little bit better when we see correlating events. I think, uh, you know, when it comes to, to your analysis, I, I haven't, to be honest, I haven't had a chance to even sit down with the team to review the footage in a, in a disciplined manner in order to, to ask, you know, how did we come to these conclusions nine months ago? And mm-hmm. I think that's what, what is somewhat lost in, in translation with a program like this is, you know, these incidents were recorded last summer. <laughs> and a lot of the data, the footage, you know, a lot of the analysis that you see projected on screen uh, you know those conclusions were reached quite a while ago and we haven't frankly gone back and revisited these things and and you know we up until now we haven't really established a a portal or a forum to be able to engage peer review and to to i think provide some further analysis uh, that that delves into some of these claims and these events and i think that's what we hope to hope to achieve you know in in a, it's coincidental, but you know I would think that the period of time in between season one's finale and a season two air date, you know, hopefully not only will we have our web portal and our website that will will go live uh, to allow for some of these discussions to continue, but hopefully you know we may be able to to further discuss and uh, unwrap the mystery involved yeah. with some of these uh, claims before the next episode's air. I will say that the team is mobilized right now out in the basin. I mean, you know, just this morning I was receiving updates from Eric Bard, from Thomas Winterton, uh from the command center where they're installing new instrumentation. We have a we have a new uh up significantly up updated computer system that we're we've been putting into place that will uh, that will assist as well as uh, uh, a better backup battery system. I mean, one of the things that continues to frustrate me and the team is is really how the equipment the equipment just continues to have challenges. I mean, mm-hmm. equipment equipment malfunctions have been normal.
0: Uh, it's a, a repeatable thing though, there, isn't it? You're, you're looking for yep. something that's repeatable and you've got uh, cell phones going wrong all the time. Maybe you should all just buy time. like a uh, hundred iPhones and yeah. uh, arrange them in a grid somewhere and, <laughs> and study what's I, go, what's going on with these iPhones.
1: I would love to do that. In fact, I think, you know, having a daisy chain of computers out at Homestead too, and, you know, having them put together and see if there's some type of a reaction or some type of anomalous activity that can be recorded associated with that effort would be interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, there is, there is repeatability when it comes to the equipment malfunctions, you know, a number of people online have asked a very good question. They've said, well, if your equipment is malfunctioning so often, if you're seeing battery, you know, battery depletion and all of these things, how are you able to capture these beautiful sweeping drone aerial shots? And you know, you're able to record these events in action. And I think it's important to note that a lot of the, uh, a lot of the drone footage and whatnot, you know, it it may be recorded 15 minutes before or after again, through the editing process, they're trying to splice together a cohesive narrative that, uh, that, that will hopefully, you know, depict what is happening in a, in a, in a, I think, in a good manner that the the audience can follow to a degree, mm-hmm. but I you know a lot of those things i mean we, we've had so many drones go down we've had so many cameras that have ended up malfunctioning I mean we had a whole uh, we had a whole sequence where where we had ground penetrating radar studies conducted up on the mesa, and all of the footage associated with that study ended up disappearing off of. The digital hmm. drives. Um, I'm not trying to assign some alien cause to it, um, or, but it is interesting, and and again, it, it, what it what it does is it it drives us to further investigate that, you know, go yeah. back and try to repeat that study, and and to try to get to the bottom of what really is at work.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to uh, the final episode next week and uh, you know, the, the, the next uh, season, next year, I guess it would come out. Yeah, should be, uh, It should be interesting.
1: It'll be, it, it will be interesting. I really appreciate your interest in this topic and I appreciate uh, all those online that, uh, that have added their enthusiasm. It's, it's fun to see uh, discussion erupt around these topics. And I, I think that's one of the reasons why I, why I agreed to, to this uh, investigative series and this television program is I felt like this was an opportunity to give people uh, the chance to, to see the property, Mm -hmm. to, to actually accompany the team. And, and I think we're missing that in this field of inquiry. I mean, you've, I, how long have you been at this? How long have you been investigating claims of this nature oh, and like, uh, uh like
0: Over sixteen years now, I think.
1: Okay, yeah. so in all of your years, I mean, have you? I mean, I, I, I mean have you had? Have you seen anything of this after, anything of this magnitude brought forward in a public fashion? Yes, transparently.
0: Uh, no, I mean it's it's certainly uh, you know in terms of like like supernatural type things. I suppose the only thing you could compare it to is the uh, the recent UFO video releases, which got a lot of attention. But but there you didn't really have the degree of openness that you have. Uh, you know what what you have here is kind of a, a strange blend. Though you have on the one hand you're very accessible and that you you talk to people and you're talking to me now, uh, but on the other hand we've got we're seeing things through the lens of this show, which does appear to be very sensationalized yep. and and sometimes you know kind of formulating a narrative at the expense of of the actual you know what actually went on. So, so it's yeah, delicate... it's, it's great to have all this openness, but it's also a double-edged sword that because you're presenting a lot of stuff, which makes me more skeptical rather than than less skeptical.
1: Yeah, it's a little bit of a no-win situation, though. Mm. Yeah, it, it you know how. how you know, what is the perfect medium for really engaging public interest? Stimulating well, for me, it be,
0: discussion. It would be Dropbox. You could just, just stick two <laughs> terabytes of data on Dropbox, and I would uh, point point to me the ones that you think are the most interesting, and I'll but, I'll have a look at them.
1: Yeah, for you, yes, and uh, but you're the anomaly. I, I I think as far as the general public is concerned and whatnot, and trying to and again trying to trying to establish the right type of vehicle for Disseminating information yeah. relative to these topics on the ranch, it's it's a challenge, and and i you know I've admitted that online. I mean, it's it that has been part of the learning process that I've been going through over the course of the last year, especially the last two months as this uh, as this program has aired. Is that you know it's very challenging when you're on one hand you're trying to convince people like you. That, uh, that are looking at it from a, a, a skeptical, you know, purely data-driven uh, and scientific-driven perspective, um, you know, trying to make sure that uh, we appropriately address your concerns and that, that, frankly, that that which is presented is supported by the right type of data and media that would, that would pass muster. Uh, mm-hmm. That 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 would, frankly, I think, uh, resolve your concerns, yet still be balanced with the, I guess, what you would call the entertainment value or yes. the, the the, uh, the other functions that we're trying to, uh, be- yeah, yeah, let's well, the call History it, Channel, yeah, the
0: History Channel needs to make some money out of their show, so they uh, <laughs> they need a certain degree of uh, entertainment factor.
1: Sure. And you know what I would, what I would probably encourage, I'd, I'd, I'd encourage you to keep this in mind and others that uh, are, tu- are tuning into this podcast, you know, have fun with it. You know, it, at times, you know, we can take ourselves too seriously. Sometimes I'm not saying that we should ever be cavalier when we're addressing such bold claims and topics, but I think, yeah, you know, I think at, at times, you know, it, it, people need to people need to have fun with it and and understand that this is uh it's not perfect especially when you're dealing with television oh my goodness um it uh it is not a uh sorry my battery was going dead there for a minute um it, it's it's not necessarily a perfect medium for introducing scientific topics to the public yeah. i mean carl carl sagan did a masterful job with cosmos Yes. and uh, i'll be the first to admit that this ain't cosmos this is uh <laughs> this is an adventure and it, hey and i you know I, I want it to be fun i want it to yeah. be fun for people and I, you know of course i want this to be uh this to be interesting and uh, we hope that people uh, follow our journey and and that they're similarly uh inspired and and that they're that their imaginations and that their interest is captured through all of this. Um, I, I I'm looking forward to continuing the journey with everyone. This is my journey. So you know, I, I started off on this path over four years ago, truly as a skeptic. You, you've seen, I wasn't someone who was in the domain. I wasn't mm-hmm. participating in the UFO community in any way, um, and uh, wasn't engaging people relative to these topics. And I I. You know, I, I surprisingly ended up being swept up in this, uh, in this effort as a result of my own, um, my own experience with other witnesses. And if I wouldn't have had multiple witnesses with me on that fateful day and those events, you know, that fateful day of events that I related to you earlier on this uh, podcast, if I wouldn't have had those witnesses with me coupled with all of the other events that occurred that were unusual. Um, I don't know that, you know, in retrospect, it would be very easy to dismiss, you know, those things as well. Maybe that, you know, maybe I'd somehow tricked myself into thinking that I was seeing something, but it's very difficult to trick for a whole host of witnesses Mm -hmm. from different backgrounds that are not part of the same fraternity, if you will. Um, to all weigh in on it and have the exact same experience and those to be coupled with, uh, with all of these other events. So I really appreciate your, uh, your invitation to come on. I will I'll uh, restate my invitation that uh, you're welcome to come out to the ranch and accompany dragon uh, Mm -hmm. on his uh, patrol of the ranch, if you wish in the future. Um, You know, I, I, I probably should say this since this is in a public forum and you're going to be publishing this, uh, which is the idea. You know, because this is a, an active scientific investigation and we're trying to, to maintain certain protocols and security and maintain the integrity of that um, investigation, which is ongoing, we really don't have the ability to open this up to the public. I do not have right. any intention. I have okay. zero intention of ever opening this up to the public for tours, um, you know, making some type of tourist attraction out of it. I, For one, I truly believe that there's danger. You know, people mm-hmm. have been hurt. We've had a number of people that have unfortunately ended up in the hospital with unexplained illnesses, I believe, as a result of some of the activities and their engagement on the ranch and we take that very seriously, and, and that's a part of our investigation. We're trying to get to the bottom of, of what is really at work um, to answer some of those questions. So anyhow, yeah, thank you. Well, I would th-
0: thank you very much for, for sharing yeah, your, your story and your experiences and your, what you're going to do in the future, and I look forward to, uh, to, to seeing what happens uh, in the future. So thank you very much.
1: You're, you're welcome, and thank you for the dialogue. It's great.
0: Okay. And you have a have a good weekend.
1: Hey, gonna- you too. Enjoy and uh, stay in touch. Feel free. I look yeah. forward to uh, continuing our dialogue in the future. Indeed.
0: Okay. Thank you a lot. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye.